welcome everybody. Good to see you this weekend. Welcome everybody watching online and at the Montrose Building and our live sites. Uh, thanks for being with us as well. We call this Avengers Weekend here at Grace Church. So if you haven't seen the movie, the end is amazing where Larry Boy kills the rumor weed. I never saw that coming in a thousand years. So uh, I hope I didn't spoil it for you. But it's great to be together. Um, we started a series last weekend called Love Liable. And in this series, what we're doing is we're going to take kind of a deep look at what it means to live like and love like Jesus and how that would play out in real time in our lives. The reason that we're interested in this question is because of what Jesus said in John 15. He said, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. And then he describes that love a little bit, starts to define it, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so last week at Easter, we're looking at Easter and saying, that's the example. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, he said, I'm going to love you to the end. I'm going to show you the full extent of my love, and it's going to be the cross. It's going to be me laying my life down and the suffering, the passion of Christ, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that whole illustration is an illustration, it's a living illustration of my love for you. And so when you love each other, think of it kind of through those lenses or terms. We also talked last weekend, we said a really important part of that whole process is to remember that Jesus laid his life down, he chose to do it. He says this in John 10, he says, I lay my life down, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to take it up again, this, this command I received from my Father. And so we said, as we're kind of processing and working that definition of what it means to love, we're looking at Jesus deciding to do something. Uh, we call it his predetermined yes, that he's not murdered, he's not caught up in the wheels of politics and history, but he determined to do that. In fact, last weekend we discovered even before the foundations of the earth were laid, he determined, knowing what we were like, knowing that we were going to be in sin, knowing that we were going to reject him, rebel against him, ignore him, knowing all of that, he demonstrated his love to us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. And Jesus chose to do that. And then he says, I want you guys to look at that. And that's love. That's what it looks like. And that predetermined yes is what drives it. And I want you to love like that. You've decided ahead of time that you're going to love regardless of how people respond, because you didn't respond that great, remember? You didn't do it, but I determined to do that for you, and now I want you to love like that. In fact, I want that to be the hallmark of what it means to be a Christ follower. So for those of us who are Christ followers, that is the command, the challenge, right? I want to love as I have been loved. If you're not a Christ follower yet, that's the definition of following Christ. It's what you're kind of signing up for, and it's also the depth of which Christ 
loved and gave himself to us, right? So that's kind of the basis. And if you missed that conversation, uh, the app, the website, it's all out there, podcast, you can get all that for free and kind of catch up on kind of that, that broader definition that we kind of summarized there. This weekend, I want to take us into the how to do that because loving each other is a complicated thing. Am I right? It's complicated, and it plays out in a thousand scenarios and a thousand situations that are all completely individualized. And so when I run into these relationships and I'm looking and saying, I'm, I'm open to that, like I'm, I'm not even fighting Jesus about it, but how in the world do you pull that off? And then how do you pull that off in, in the nuances of my relationships that I'm in right now? That, that's a complicated question. So I want to start there, and that's what we're going to dig out for the next few weeks. Now, to do that, what I, what I want to do is I want to get some more background uh, into Jesus and what he was thinking and, and kind of the path he was going down as he's going to the cross. If the cross is the great example, then, then what led him, drove him, what was he thinking as he went to the cross. And thankfully, the Bible gives us a spot to go to glean that information. And we're going to go there this week and kind of hang out there. So if you got your Bibles, grab them and go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. That's page 951 of those Bibles in the chairs. Uh, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible and you want one, just take that with you and keep it. We'd love for you to have it. Uh, this is all on the app and, and uh, the website and stuff like that. So Philippians chapter 2, page 951, we're going to get an insight into what Jesus was thinking, and then we're going to see that his mindset is a mindset that we want to pick up, and that's a gateway or a starting point of how to love as we have been loved. So the Apostle Paul is writing here, on God's behalf, and what Paul does is he lays down this line of logic for us. And through this line of logic, we can start to opt in, opt out, and then see what Jesus was thinking and then align ourselves with it, okay? So he starts with the opt in, opt out part of the logic, and he says this in verse one. He says, therefore, if, if you have any, if any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So he would stop there and he'd say, okay, just throwing it out there. If there's anything about being united in Christ, his salvation, his cross, the unity of the body of Christ, if any of that applies to you, if you have any of that, that's an opt-in. Then he goes on, there's another one. If, if you have any comfort from his love, if any, if there's anything about your salvation that brings you comfort, uh, the hope of heaven, the fact that when we pray, God hears us, that we can make our requests known, maybe that God knows us and knows the details of our life, if any, if this is you and there's any level of that. So he gives two opt-in, opt in, here's if any encouragement, if any comfort, then he gives a third one. If any common sharing in the spirit, so if you, the Bible teaches us that we're, we're filled with or indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it's a Bible word, at the, at the moment of salvation, God lives in us. So if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if God lives in your heart in any way, if you have any fellowship with that, anything in common with that, right? So there's three opt-ins so far, if any, 
unity, if any comfort, if any sharing in the spirit. And then the fourth open, if any tenderness and compassion. If Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, gives you any tenderness, any compassion. If you would look at someone and have a compassion for them, right? The, the kids, the other side of the world that need the famine relief from Feed My Starving Children, if that stirs you at all, right? If there's any tenderness, if I'm more loving than I used to be because the Holy Spirit lives within me and God has altered me, right? So these opt-ins are there. If any, if any, if any, if any. If that applies to you in any way, if you would say, I've received the love of God and it's affecting my life in any way, and Paul goes on, if those are your opt-ins, then here's your logic. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. So like-mindedness is the logic, and then there's an outplay. What does that look like? And he says this, so because of all that, do this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So Paul does this logic. He, he looks and says, if you're in on this, then be like-minded this way, and it's going to result in, in doing nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but putting other people's interests above your own. If that's you, then do this, right? So if we raise our hands and said, in essence, I, I feel and know that I'm loved by Christ, and I'm also willing to love as I have been loved, then Paul would say, this is what it looks like to love as you have been loved. Nothing out of selfish ambition, vacancy, humility, value, other people's interests above your own, right? So you follow kind of that logic, and Paul's saying, if that's you, then do this. Now, I don't know about you. You're probably more spiritually mature than I am, but I don't know about you, but I would opt in. I, I would say, if any, if any, I'd be like, yeah, that's me. I mean, I, I've, I'm united in Christ and grateful for my salvation and and I, I'm comforted by knowing that, and I believe the Holy Spirit's within me, and it, make, it does make me compassion, compassionate, more tender toward other people. I would opt in and say, I'm all in on that, but when you got me to this part, I would be like, um, nothing? Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Nothing? Like, I'm never, I'll never do anything selfishly or vain conceit. I'll never, I'll never to think highly of myself. I, I'm amazing. It's difficult not to think highly of myself, right? Sexy, smart, the whole night, personable, humble, like the whole thing. Like, it's difficult. Like, nothing ever. I would say something like this. I want to, but that's the bar, always put other people's interests above my own? That's the definition of love? I'm, I, I'd be like, mm, I, always, like never? And, and I, would, I would be a person, and I, maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm just immature spiritually, but, or in life in general, but may, maybe, maybe that's just me where I'm looking, I'm saying, I, I really am open and want to, 
And when I come out of Easter, where I've taken a kind of a, a closer look at what Jesus did for me, I'm even motivated, but that, I don't see how I can just feel that way or do that or be motivated enough to pull that off. So the logic makes sense to me. The, the opt-in makes sense to me. The, the desire makes sense to me. But the outcome, the how, that seems really, really difficult to me. And I'm not sure that I can pull that off. Now, here's the great thing about God. Rarely does God ever tell us what to do without either through example or direct teaching showing us or telling us how to do it. And this is one of those circumstances where, where the Lord through Paul is saying, this is the opt-in, this is what I'm looking for. And we're sitting here saying, well, how do you do that? And Paul starts to walk us through how to pull this off, okay? So this is what he says. That's verses one through four. Here's verse five. It's all the same conversation. This is what he said. He says this, in your relationships, if we're gonna pull this off, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's fascinating. Because God is in essence looking at us saying, are you in, or do you know that Christ loves you? I'm in on that. Do you want to love others as you have been loved? Do you want to love your neighbor as yourself? Do you even want to love your enemies, your, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your, your worst enemy? Do you want to love as you have been loved? Yes, I do. I, I want to do that. How? Paul says the way that you begin to do that. Remember, we're going to talk about this for a few weeks. So the way that you begin to do that is, is fascinating, is with a mindset, with a mindset. Now, this is, this is a little bit mind-bending for us as North Americans because when we talk about love, 99% of the time, this isn't right or wrong, it just is. 99% of the time when we talk about love, we talk about it in terms of emotion. Love is an emotion in our, in our thinking, now, this is what happens. If love is an emotion, that means this. My love for you is going to be defined by your receptivity and your reciprocation of your love for me. My emotions for you are going to be defined by your emotions for me. And if I have an emotion for you and you reciprocate that emotion for me, then we're in love. We're in love, right? If you don't reciprocate that emotion for me, then we're not in love and we may not even be friends. Now, that's not all right or wrong. It just kind of is. Paul is going to go poof. He's going to blow the mind a little bit. And he's saying, if you want to get a hold of Jesus's love, Jesus's love and his path to the cross was not defined by his emotions about going to the cross. It was defined by his mindset a predetermined yes that was determined before the foundations of the world were laid. So if you want to love, if you want to opt in, you're going to start with your mindset. Your mindset should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Well, what was his mindset? 
who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus had a mindset. He had the mindset of a servant. He had the mindset of humility and that caused him to do an act of love, which was give his life on the cross. It was not feeling, it was not emotion, it was a mindset, a paradigm, a lens, a filter, a worldview. And that thinking is what caused him to make the decisions that led him all the way to offering his life on the cross. If I want to love as I've been loved, I start by allowing God to renew or to change my mindset. Jesus had the mindset of a servant and the mindset of humility. Now, what does that mindset look like? Let's talk about this for a few minutes, okay? So what is the mindset of a servant? When we think about the mindset of a servant, this is really important, ready? It's very different than the mindset of service or the mindset of a volunteer. That's not what Jesus was digging at. He didn't have the mindset of, a, of service or a mindset of a volunteer. He had the mindset of a servant. When we have a, a volunteer mindset or a service mindset, th this is usually how we filter this. And again, it's not right or wrong, it just is. Right? I'm, just, I'm not condemning it or condoning it, I'm, I'm just clarifying it. It's just the way that we think. When I think of service or volunteerism, what I tend to think is this way. Is it going to be fun and fulfilling for me? So if you came to me and said, Jeff, would you help me? Uh, Friday's my day off. I get one day off a week. If you said, would you take your Friday and help me? I would determine my yes or no based on what you asked me to do. So if you said, would you bring your Kubota over and help me clean my yard up all day on Friday? I would, be, I would say, well, yes. I couldn't think of something more fun to do than that. And I would love to serve you. I will volunteer to do that. If you said to me, Jeff, would you take your Friday and watch my five-year-old? I would say, I don't like your five-year-old. I don't like any five-year-old. No, I will not do that. I'll, I'll pull my daughter out of school. You pay her, she'll do it. Right? I'm not, I'm not doing it. Because I'm going to look and I'm going to say, it's not fun. It's not even fulfilling for me. That, that would be horrible to me, like, to, to do that. I, I mean, I'm glad you love your kid, but, right? So I, like, that's the way that would work. If you said to me, it may even be difficult for me or, or not fun. If you said to me, we had a family tragedy, would you take your day off and perform a funeral for us? I would say yes. I want to do that. I love you, and I want to be in that situation. It's fulfilling for me. You need me. I love you. It's fulfilling for me. But that's a service mindset or a volunteer mindset. Ready? This is important. That is not a servant's mindset. 
What is a servant's mindset? This is how I would define it, okay? A servant's mindset is this. A servant's service is defined by the needs or the desires of the one they serve, not the joy they derive from service. When I volunteer, when I volunteer for something, my mindset starts with me. Would that be fun? Do I want to do it? Is it worthy of my time? And that's fine. When I have the mindset of a servant, my, my decision point starts with you. What do you need? What do you desire? Can I help you? See, It's a very different pathway. And Jesus, Paul says, has the mindset of a servant. When he's going to the cross, he's not thinking what's in it for me or will I enjoy it or is this fulfilling? He has the mindset of a servant. He's thinking, what do you need and can I meet that need? That's a big deal. Because it alters how I love or express love. So sometimes, sometimes as a servant, I serve and the service is fun. That's fine. Sometimes as a servant, I, I, I give something and when I give it, it's fulfilling. And I'm being a servant. Those kids need food. I, I have a resource I can give to them that's fulfilling. It's fun to take my time and pack that food. It, it, it's it's, the, it's the, the whole enchilada. It's fun, it's fulfilling, it's fruitful, and they actually need what I can give them. Sometimes being a servant is fun and sometimes it's being fulfilling. Sometimes being a servant is miserable. I might need to serve you by allowing you to hit rock bottom as you scream at me your whole way down. And I might need to serve you. What's best for you is if I don't intervene so that you do feel your consequences and you're going to hate my guts in the process and I love you enough to bear that burden for you. Sometimes I might, I might have to serve you by being the only person in your life that does not celebrate your life decisions. And everybody thinks it's great because they've been told that to love you is to agree with you. But I'm going to be the one person who loves you enough to say that's wrong or that's sin or that's going to destroy your life, your family, maybe even your soul. I'm going to love you enough not to agree with you, to tell you the truth. Being a servant is about you. And I might serve you by agreeing with you and celebrating with you and giving to you. Or I might serve you by bearing your wrath. By being the outsider. By being the only one who will look you in the eye and not buy into your argument. Because it's counter to God's word. Jesus has the mindset of a servant. And Paul says, 
You should have that mindset. I want to love you. What does love mean? Well, it's all the grid that it comes through. When it comes through the grid of a servant, it could mean many things. It means what is best for you, what is most Christ-like for you, it, what is truth, it, that God's truth applied to your life. And that might not mean doing what you want me to do, okay? So the, we start to frame up, how do I love you? Well, you start working it through the mindset, the paradigm of a servant. Now, the scripture goes on, right? So Jesus had the mindset of a servant, he took the nature of a servant, and he humbled himself, became obedient even unto the cross. So he had the mindset of humility. What's the mindset of humility? Humility is this, is my definition. Humility is this. It is the willful suspension of your rights. The willful suspension of your rights, okay? So again, in our culture, we're into our rights. And, and there's some really positive things about that. Not good, not bad, just is. But we're really, really into our rights. And we're quick to claim our rights. You don't have the right to speak to me that way. You don't, you don't have the right to do that to me. You don't have the right to deny me my free speech, whatever. We're really, really into our rights. Humility is the willful suspension of my rights. Jesus had the right not to go to the cross. He didn't deserve the cross. He didn't do anything. He never sinned. Why is he hanging on a tree, bleeding to death? He had the right. Jesus had the right to say, you, you're responsible. You're the one that did it. I didn't do it. You're the one that made that decision. You're the one that ignored that. You're the one that didn't care about that. Why do I have to pay for it? He had the right to put his foot down and say, that's their problem, it's not my problem. In humility, he willfully, they were not taken from him, he laid his life down. It was his own choice. He willingly suspended his rights in a act of love. See? When, I, when I approach relationships from this mindset, what happens is this. I, I will start asking different questions. If I come at a problem, a relational problem, from a position of humility, I will ask different questions, okay? So I can look and say, uh, you stole something from me. You stole something from me. I have the right not to be robbed. I, I have the right to, to my property. I have the right to those things. And the question in my rights is, are you, are, are you wrong, yes or no? Did you do it, yes or no? Are you guilty, yes or no? Those are my rights. And you're right about all of that. In humility, I might ask a different set of questions. I have these rights, but I'm choosing to suspend them. I might ask the question, instead of, did you do it, yes or no? I might ask this question. Why did you do that? What, what caused you, why didn't you believe I would just give it to you if you asked? What is, what is in our relationship that would make you think that you had to take from me instead of trusting my generosity to you? 
It changes the question. I was reading an article the other day about a person who embezzled from their boss, right, from the company. The boss is like, whoa, I have a right. I have a right not to be stolen from. That is my money. It's not your money. That's not the way this works. But this is what happened. As he is figuring this out, putting a stop to it, he started asking questions. Why would you do that? And what came out was this, that the person's child had cancer and they were trying to get money to pay for their medicine. Now, does it make it right? No. Does it justify it? No. Is Robin Hood okay? No. But did it change the relationship between the boss and the employee deeply? See, now that I, now that I understand, how do I love? Do I hold you accountable? I would say yes. And then what do we do from there? How do we interact? Because it's altered the path that the, the relationship would go down. Do I have the right to look at you and say, you hurt me and you're never going to hurt me again? Do I have the right to say that? Of course I do. But if I change the question and I said things like this, hurting people hurt people. What, what is going on in your life that would cause you to lash out at me? Do I, do I have the right to look at my spouse and say, you're not going to talk to me that way again? Yeah, I, you have that right. But in humility, you could, you could switch the question. Sweetheart, why are you talking to me like that? What's happening in your heart that would cause you to lash out at me in that way? See? So Paul says, Jesus, when he's headed to the cross, he has this mindset. Going to the cross, I'm laying my life down. How did he, what was his logic in getting there? Well, he had the logic of a servant. It's not what, what are you going to get out of the cross? Nothing. What do they need and what can I do to meet that need? And then in humility, you don't have to do it. You're God. I know. I'm the only one that can do it. So I'm setting aside my rights to do what is best for them. And the logic of love then makes sense. Now, here's the part that's going to blow your mind a little bit, right? <laughs> Here we go. Ready? We can't do this. So all this stuff in the Bible, you cannot pull that off on your own. No way, no how. Because as a human being, here's my deal. As a human being, I have an instinctual reflex to claim my rights, protect myself, and look out for number one. And then we live in a culture that reinforces that in a tremendous, a tremendous way. And I have that reflex and you have that reflex. I do not have the reflex of a servant. I have the reflex of self-preservation. I don't have the reflex of humility. I have the reflex of claiming my rights. If you push me, my reflex is to turn around and take a swing at you. That's the way that I'm wired. Right? You want to fight? Let's fight. Let's go. This will probably be fun for me. Right? So that, that's my wiring. So I don't, in myself, I don't have this mindset. And if I think to myself, well, I'm going to willpower this mindset. I'm just going to make myself a servant. No, you're not. 
You will never succeed at that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be humble. No, you're not. You're gonna become at best self-righteous. Right? You're never, ever going to pull that off. So how, how do I even pull off the mindset? If I need the mindset to love as I've been loved, how do you even get the mindset? The Bible doesn't tell us what to do without helping us know how to do it. So the same Apostle Paul, Romans 12, he gives us the, he gives us the path to do this. This is what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and I put in the words, the cross, in view of God's mercy or in view of the cross, you offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul would say this, if you're trying to get the mindset, where you go to get the mindset is the cross. I stare at the cross. This is why when you come out of a week like Holy Week and you've taken communion and you've come to Easter service and we've sang about the cross, that's why you're suddenly more motivated to love because you've taken a deep dive at the cross. When I'm trying to grab the mindset, what I'm filling my mind with is what Jesus did for me on the cross. In view of the cross in view of what God did for me as I receive and download the incredible love of God, what it does is it changes my mind. Paul goes on. He says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As I look at the cross and I understand deeper and deeper and broader and broader what Christ did for me on the cross, it alters the way that I think. When I look and I put myself in the position of the one who is opposing me, they're being a jerk to me. When I was cursing God, what did he do for me? The cross is what he did for me. When, when, when I abandoned God, what did God do for me? The cross. He did that. As I was in the process of denying him, he was in the process, so to say, of dying for me. When I was being selfish to God, you robbed me. You ripped me off. The Bible says when we don't offer our tithes to God, we rob God. When I rob God weekly, what does he do for me? He dies for me. He does the cross for me. When I curse God, he does the cross for me. When I'm selfish to God, he does the cross for me. When, I, when I'm hateful to God, he does the cross for me. Paul says, in view of that, when you're staring at the cross and you're downloading that what this person is doing to me, I'm doing to God, and God's response to me is the cross. As I am loved. And I understand that Jesus' gift of his life on the cross affects every little nuance of my life every little day. As I understand that and download that, it changes my perception. It renews my mind. It gives me the mindset of Christ that as this person is doing to me what I have done to Christ, Christ did this for me and I want to do that for them. And the way that I get it is I see it 
in my own life. This is what Christ has done. And it renews my thinking. I'm in. I want to be in. How do you be in? You get a mindset. Where's the mindset come from? From seeing it play out in your own life. Do you see how Christ was a servant to you? Do you see how Christ's humility was given for you? As they do to you what you did to him, you love them the way that he loved you. Now, I wanted, I wanted to give a, an illustration of this. I was actually kind of racking my brain about how to put some skin on this. And, and I remember the Lord brought to my mind my friend. My friend Val is doing something. I want to show you her story here in a second. And, and as you hear her story, I, I, I love her story. She was telling it to me. What captivated me was this. Not, not so much what she is doing, because that's going to be different in every situation. So it's not what she was doing. What I want you to grab is her mindset. Why? How did she reach the conclusion that she reached? Okay. So let's watch her story and then we'll talk about it some more. So Val, uh, August of last year, you got a phone call from your mom and dad. And what was that phone call about? Uh, my dad had just had a kidney biopsy and they found out that he had stage four kidney failure. Okay. And the doctor told him that he should check with the family uh, to see if anyone was eligible to be a live kidney donor for him because he was going to need a transplant. So he needs a transplant. They're checking with the family. The family is tested and your test came back as? A match. A match. Yes. So you were, you were kind of the one person in your family who could donate a kidney to your dad. You, I'm sure, talked about that with your husband, Dan, and your kids, and you came to what decision? Um, that I was absolutely going to give a kidney to my dad. Okay. Uh, the question for me was never, am I going to do it, but how am I going to do this? Okay. Um, it was just an obvious yes from the very beginning. What, what has that meant as you're preparing for this transplant? How did that whole process, how's it affected your life? How, how'd you have to get ready physically and emotionally, spiritually, all those kind of things? Sure, well the donation process is actually not simple at all. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot that's involved in it and um, the donor has to be in best possible health. Uh, they look at a lot of different risk factors and one of them that was my biggest hurdle was my weight and having to get my weight down to a safe body mass index so that I'd be able to donate. So you had to change your your diet, your eating habits, your good habits, your bad habits, the whole nine yards. This is stuff that is difficult for you, kind of yeah. normally, right? Yeah. But you're looking now and saying, this is kind of life and death for my dad. How has that affected you even spiritually? Um, well, I think because I've, I've been praying about it every day, and I think that um, my motivation was really different this time when it came to diet and exercise, and knowing that I was doing this for my dad, I think 
God really helped me become more disciplined. Um, he put the people in my life that were able to support me. Um, after a while, I had some friends from the office that uh, started eating the same kind of things that I ate just because they knew that I couldn't. It's made me feel closer to him and closer to my dad. Um, being able to love him in that way, it really helps me to understand Christ's love for me. The, the post-donation life is a different life too, right? So there's yeah. permanent, long-term effects of all this. What, what are some of those things that you have to deal with? Yeah, so having only one kidney, um, I can't play heavy contact sports. Oh man, which... <laughs> <laughs> your roller derby career I know. is over. <laughs> uh, uh, things, but things like that, putting myself in positions where I might get um, injured or injure my one kidney, um, thing, uh, different medications that I won't be able to take from here on out. When you look at all this, um, in many ways, there's not a lot in it for you, right? So you're not right. selling your kidney. Right. Um, but you would say what's driving you is your love for your dad, right? Yeah. My dad has always been a constant source of love and support for me. And um, growing up, he was always very graceful with us. He was always the gentle one. Growing up, I made some bad decisions. Um, I had some hard times in my life, and my dad was always the first one there to help me. Uh, when I got divorced, he was right there. He helped me find a place to live. Um, he gave me a job at his company. He was just always, um, always there for me to help me. I look at him and I can't imagine not doing this for him. Mm -hmm. So you really would look at this and say, I wanna love my dad as he has loved me, right? That he he would do this for you in a heartbeat and you wanna do this for, for him. And uh, because you love him, it's not this big tax, you know, it was a, an easy, <laughs> big air quotes, easy yes, yeah. uh, because of that. I love it, that's awesome. All right, I want, you to, I want you to grab Val's logic, okay? Her emotional and her spiritual logic, okay? So she's gonna look in view of God's mercy. If, if I needed a kidney and Christ had one, would even consider giving it to me? The answer is yes. So she said it. Immediately, the answer is yes, how do we do this, okay? So yes, that would happen. Now I'm gonna take the mindset of a servant, right? He, my dad has something that I have and can give and he needs. It's not, a, I don't, there's really nothing in it for me. I wanna give it to him and I'm setting aside my rights. I have the right to say it's my kidney. I have the right to say I have children. I have a husband, I have a family. I have the right, Dad, what, what did you do to mess your kidney up? Right? I, have the, I have the right to all of that. But in humility, I'm setting aside my rights. And it logically now makes sense that I would express love to my dad this way. Okay? Now, I want to show you this. This is really, really cool. Here it is. Ready? So back to Romans 12. 
in view of God's mercy, right? I'm looking at the cross, the fullest illustration of Jesus' love, the, the love with skin on and in color. That's what it looks like. A predetermined yes, view of his mercy, okay? The transforming and the renewing of my mind, the, the logic of being a servant, the logic of, of humility. So I'm, I'm grabbing a mind in view of that. It's what Jesus did. What was he thinking? He's thinking as a servant. He was thinking of humility. I'm grabbing his mindset because I see it in me. I, Jesus loved me like that when I was that person. So I see it in me. My mind is transformed. My mind is renewed. Ready? In view of that, with the mind of Christ, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do I love you? What's the right answer? Do, do I cut you off or do I write you a check? Do, do, I, do I say come home or do I say you gotta make it on your own? Do I, do I let you hit rock bottom or do I dive underneath you right before you hit the ground and try to say, what do I do? I don't know. I want to love. I'm in on loving. I'm opted in. I, I, if any, if any, if any, if any, that's me. What do I do? How do I determine that answer? Well, first I go to the cross. What did Christ do for me when I was that person? I want to see Christ in my life every day in every way, every moment, because I keep doing this to him. I want to have the mindset of a servant, not of volunteerism, certainly not enabling, but of a servant. What do I have that is best for you? Humility. I have the right not to be, but I'm going to be involved. Then, once I'm there, then then God will start to lead me. Then I'll be able to know because I, I've cleared myself and I'm saying, God, I want to love as you've been loved. What does that mean? Holy Spirit, lead me. Word of God, show me. Family of God, body of Christ, give me wise counsel. Then I'll know. See. And when you look at Val's process, she would say, with this, this, and this, this is logical, I am confident. I'm confident before the Lord. I'm confident before my husband, my children, my family. This is what I'm doing. Right? How do I know, how do I know what to do with my kid that's flipping out? Well, go to the cross. Paradigm of a servant. Paradigm of humility. Then the past starts to make sense. What do I do? My, my spouse and I are just, eh, what do we do? Let's go to, let's both of us go to the cross because here's all of our accusations and we've done it to Jesus. How do I serve you? How do I lay aside my agenda and pick up yours? Then I know. What about this group of people, these heroin addicts? Well, let's go to the cross and let's grab a mindset and let's set aside our rights. And then what, is, what would be a logical outcome to that? See, there's a, there's a pathway. And Christ himself went down that pathway. 
He did not make a spontaneous decision. He didn't feel awesome about it. In the garden the night before it all started, he said, Father, could you take this cup from me? Dad, any chance of getting out of this? It doesn't feel good at all. But the predetermined yes pushed into place by a mindset led to a path and it allowed God's good, pleasing, and perfect will to play out in that situation. There is anybody that wrote a book that says five steps to loving as you've been loved, you should punch them in the face. That's, that will never work in a thousand years because it's all individual and I have to be led. I have to be walked through. And the spirit of God and the word of God and the people of God are the things that God gives us to, to walk down this path and to discover these answers for us, Okay. All right, here's your tattoo for the weekend. Here's a good one you should go get. Ready? I, you, could, you could sum all this up by asking this question. How would Christ demonstrate his love to me? If I am doing to Jesus what they're doing to me, how does Jesus respond in view of his mercy? If I'm in the situation that I put Christ in, what would Christ do? In fact, you should probably change this tattoo a little bit. It should probably say this. Since I am doing this, how does God demonstrate his love to me? I am that person. And how is Jesus interacting with me? And as I understand on deeper and deeper levels what Christ continues to do for me, it will clarify, it will make sense then how I love someone as I have been loved, right? And as that makes sense, here it is, ready? I'm liable for it. I'm love liable. As I understand it, I'm responsible now for it. And I love as I have been loved, okay? All right. The band will come out and give us a little space to worship and pray and respond. And maybe here's a question to wrestle with this week that you could lock on to, okay? What is my mindset? What is my mindset? I'm not talking about willpower or positive thinking. I'm asking, does it align with Christ's mindset? And this is what happens, guys. If there are people in your life that you're struggling to love, especially if they're difficult, they're probably on your mind right now. And what happens is this, is we've made up our minds. I'm never talking to them again. They will never. That they're, just, they're like this. And, it, and we make up our minds. Paul would come in and say, make sure your mindset is in line with Christ." And when it is, would you reach these same conclusions? Or would we revisit this? Would we act a different way? Would we love differently because we understand how we've been loved? So maybe allow God to challenge your mindset, right? And to change it and lead you to a different path, right? Let me pray for us as we begin this time and
we'll invite Jesus into it. Lord, if you would help us in this way, in these still moments, in these quiet, still times, would you press into our heart and into our mind? Would you renew us? Would you transform us? And God, maybe take us back to the cross. Let us see what you have done for us to to understand the depth of your love in our given situation and then to love in that way. So Jesus, in every way that you need to press or change or confront or encourage, would you through your spirit do all of that? And as we pray and think, would you help us to be open to aligning ourselves with you anew? Thank you, Jesus.